Open Scene, December 2019. The eve of a new decade as we know it, the world as we knew it, anxiously yet hopefully marches into not just a new year, but the new year, 2020. And while we'd in more ways than one been here before, though we're all too familiar with the annual recaps, the your year in review, the new year, new you shout out subtexts and sermons, the other side we'd almost routinely said we'd see you on looks quite different than quite literally everyone had imagined. Yet here we are, many frames into the first reel of our roaring 20s, over three months into unexpected enemy territory fraught with disaster, disorientation, and disease. What is this coronavirus, the mother of COVID-19? What do you mean global pandemic? No, I don't understand why I can't leave, you're not allowed in, or most importantly, why this is happening to us. If you've never felt trapped, if you've never been vulnerable, isolated, or incapacitated, the odds favor the possibility that you do now. But if you've ever known the steadfast, unchanging faithfulness of the almighty, omnipotent God, the sacrificial, undying, redeeming love of Jesus Christ, or the comforting grip and wellspring of hopeful energy from the Holy Spirit, then you also know all is well. You see, we as a Christian people, believers due north to the narrow gate, disciples, apostles, saints, and servants of our Father in heaven are called to contrast in times like these. Though we mourn, though we grieve, we do so with hope. Though we're scared, though we're scarred, we do not despair. It's times like these where the notes in the margins remind us that faith is a lens, not a lever. The fear may find a seat, but it can't drive. Jesus take the wheel and remind me more than ever that deliverance does not always mean exemption that the battle is yours and victory awaits, that you came, saw, and conquered the grave. It's times like these we'd be wise to trade the red flags of our societies for the red letters of our scriptures, like the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So while Easter may seem a little different this year, its promise remains whole. The resurrection of our hero is at the heartbeat of our faith. God is who he says he is, and he's with us now as we prepare our hearts for worship, celebration, and thanksgiving. Acts and emotions that may seem misplaced in our current context, but are commonplace in our eternal perspective. May the Son of God rise and chase the darkness from all corners of our hearts as we make room for the peace that is our perspective through the storm.
Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Pastor Terry. Uh, I know we didn't we didn't expect this. This wasn't the Easter we planned or envisioned. I don't think any of us could have seen this coming. No way. We had we had written as a church. We had written an entire musical. We were so excited about it, and Lord willing, we'll still be able to share that next year. But we're finding ourselves at a place in time where none of us thought we would be. We're having our Easter service online in a very different way. And I want to say to all of the church family, I love you. I hope you feel connected. We've been doing everything we can to stay connected. If you're a guest, a friend, someone who's joining us maybe for the first time ever, this may go down as, as the years go by, you might say, you know, my first service ever was an Easter service online in that year, 2020, the year where so many of us will remember how we had to wrestle through the whole coronavirus and all the different things that our nation was moving through. We're going to get past this. There's no question in my mind we will. But in the meantime, we have a journey to make. And my hope and my prayer is that the time that we're investing together right now, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, the, the beautiful one who gave his life for us, that we might have life, that the time that we're investing right now is going to have a benefit and the benefit will not only be a remembering of something that is so incredible and so important that it has literally changed the world and it will change our life but also that we would come out of this strengthened and more more able yes to move into this uncertain time of ours with greater confidence and peace that we would have less fear I think all of us are aware now of how fragile life is and how fragile some of the systems are that we've built our life around. The assumptions that we've made about what security looks like, we begin to see now that maybe they're not as certain as we thought they were. And perhaps that some of the things that Jesus taught us, and we believe them about how we're to invest in things that will live beyond this life. but. I think even now, more than ever, we're beginning to ask good questions, to look inside our own heart, to wrestle with things, to think about the meaning of life, our purpose, and honestly, what true security looks like. These are great questions for us to explore, and we're going to explore some of them together in the time that we're about to share as well. But again, what I want to do, if I can, and I, I want to do this with all of us on this Easter Sunday, 2020 online together. I want to be able to pray, pray for your blessing, pray for your peace. And so Lord, we just, if you just pray with me and Lord, we welcome you even now. We welcome you into this place connected in ways we could never have seen coming and yet feeling close to you together. And again, if we could see all the faces and all the people that right now are together in this moment, experiencing the love of God together, would not our heart rejoice. But I, I understand that for many of us, this is a hard time. It's been a difficult time. And so much of our issue has to do with our thoughts. And when I say that, Lord, it's in no way suggesting that those thoughts aren't real. Some of our fears and concerns and anxieties, some of the real feelings about being lonely, which I know I've heard from so many, that there's a lot of struggle going on and a lot of, a lot of concern about 
just being able to take care of ourselves or, you know, being safe or what happens if things don't turn around and what's going to happen to us or people we care about and love. And it's not, again, it's not even just the physical part of it, which is real, but even more, it's, I think, or just as much, it's about the mental and the emotional part as, as well, because so much of our struggle has to do with our thought patterns. And what your word reminds us of is that as a person thinks, so they are, that so much of our struggle is going on with our thoughts and about envisioning things that may not even happen, but we can't seem to get free of it. Some of us are out of that fear, being tempted to fall back into patterns of behavior, or addictive things that aren't even helpful to us, don't have any good in them. And I know that's not your will for us, Lord. So whatever it is that we need, whatever point of healing we need, living Jesus, the one who died for us and loves us and rose again, you, Lord, we ask that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead would move in our hearts, that you would touch our bodies and heal, that you would touch our minds and heal, that you would touch us at a deep spiritual level so that we actually come through this period stronger and better than when we went into it. And we can look back and say, wow, God, you did some amazing, incredible things in this time of my life. Help us, Lord, to embrace that promise, embrace this season fully, not to run from it, but to step forward with as much courage and peace in our hearts as we possibly can. So, Lord, we welcome you into this time. Let there be a flow of strength that comes as we study your words together. Let us have the ear of a listener. Even as you said to the one who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit would say. Lord, by faith, God of eternity, we ask that you who have come to us would come to us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray this, Lord. Hit us in the deepest places and speak to us in our deepest areas of concern. We welcome you, living, living Lord and precious Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. And Lord, one more thing I pray. Roll away the stone that would guard our heart from being open to you so that the light of your glory would shine through. This is what I ask, Lord. Thank you. Again, uh, I want to approach Easter uh, a little bit. It's going to be a little unique the way we're going at this, because as many of you know, not everyone would, but we've been sitting with the, the woman at the well and the whole exchange that Jesus had with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And her story is what takes up a majority of the fourth chapter of John. And, uh, I, you know, on, on your digital handout, which is right there in your notes section, you can, you can actually follow along. And then somewhere along the way, as I get to our passage, the part of the passage that I really want to zero in on, you'll be able to read that as well in the side column on the screen. But I want to summarize the early part of the, the book of John in terms of the fourth chapter. And again, if you don't, if you have a Bible, you know, feel free to grab it. Uh, you can just listen to me as well, or you can get your, your, you know, Bible app out and do it that way. But I just kind of want to summarize and set the stage for where we want to go. Some of us may recall, and this is how, you know, John four sort of unfolds. And I think it's a reset because I don't want to assume that all of us either one are aware of what I'm about, what we what we're talking about or two are with us the past few weeks. Although I would encourage you go back and, and, and listen to it and sit with it. It's okay to do that too. Um, if you haven't had a chance to do that and again, assuming that some of us are here for the first time, 
But I want to I want to just remind us everything about what happened there. Okay, the Bible says that in John four, Jesus must needs go through Samaria, and that was a very poetic way of saying that he was led by the Father to go through Samaria, and that was an unconventional. Uh, path to take. Many Jews of that day would try to avoid Samaria. They were, either they were coming down or, or going up, up from the south to the north, from the Judea to Galilee. They would try to skip Samaria, which was located in the middle. And we talked a lot about that. And I won't go back into the reasons why, except to say that there was tremendous tension that existed between Jews and Samaritans at the time. And so Jesus was entering into an environment. There was already a lot of tension there. And, uh, but he knew I think he knew that there was a conversation he was supposed to have. And uh, the Bible says that he gets to this town in Samaria called Sychar, Sychar. He has all his disciples with him, but they go into town to get supplies. He was hungry. They didn't have any food. So they go into town. It's one of those rare moments where Jesus was actually by himself and he's sitting by a well. The well was a known well, as most wells were. They were very important places in the ancient world because water as still is the case today, meant so much. They were also meeting places. A lot of socialization took place around the well. Wells were the source of life. If a town had a well, they could live. If they didn't, they had no source of water. Usually they weren't going to be able to prosper in any way or survive. They weren't by a river. Rivers were places where cities were built. You'll notice that some of the most significant cities in the world still today are all built around rivers. There's a reason for that. But if you didn't have a river, you didn't have a source of water, a well meant everything. And here's the situation where Jesus is sitting by the well. We talked about it and we, we mentioned how this woman, this woman whose name we do not know, but she's beautiful in her own unique way, partly because she's so real and we're given insight into her just a little bit more than at the top layer. We get to see a little bit more into her at a more personal level. And so we naturally connect. It says that she was carrying her water pot, probably had also a, a water jug or a, ba- a, a bucket, or we might say an animal skin that she could use to be able to draw the water up and put, into, put the water into the bucket and maybe even a, a drinking utensil or a cup. She's making her way, we're told, at, tw- at noontime. It was a time when most people didn't go to get well water. It was a time where Actually, it was unsuitable to do so because the heat of the day, you had to carry a lot of weight. It wasn't easy to do. It was a lot of work, actually. So most people wouldn't come at that time of the day. It would come in the morning, in the evening, dawn and dusk, the cool of the day, the more convenient time without the sun beating down on you. I think she had other reasons, too, why she went to the well by herself. I don't think she had a great reputation with some of the other women. She was a person with a checkered past and relationally she had just been a mess. And so I I would assume that she was a little bit ostracized or stigmatized and you know, who wants to go to a place where you, you just feel like you're going to be judged. Like we all trend, probably want to avoid that. No one likes to do that. So it's just better for her to stay away. She went on her own. So she's getting, making her way to the well, we're told in John 4, when I think from a distance, she sees this stranger. She can tell it's not someone she recognizes, certainly not someone local. And 
it looks like it's a man. He's Jewish. You can tell by his garments. Uh, and Jews and Samaritans at that time, they didn't, they didn't get along. There was, like I said, a lot of tension. That tension was connected to ethnicity. You know, Samaritans were half Jewish, but it was even more connected to cultural, religious uh, differences that were deeply embedded. And the people just didn't get along. They just, they didn't mix. And so, you know, I imagine her seeing him first, maybe she was a little unsettled, but, but once she recognized kind of him, she probably tried to avoid eye contact and just maybe go to the other side. And so she was caught off guard as Jesus so often does. She was caught off guard when Jesus, this man says to her, would you mind getting me a drink, a drink of water? She's taken aback, right? Because he says, how, whoa, whoa, are you, are you talking to me? You know, we, I, you're asking me for a drink? Excuse me? <laughs> I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We don't, I'm a woman. We, look, we don't interact. I know, but I, I was just wondering if you could get me some water. I would appreciate that. Uh, well, yes. And, and again, Jesus then added, if you knew, by the way, who I was and what I could do for you, you would, you would ask me for water. That's right. You would be asking me for a drink. If you understood who I was. Oh, really? She says, ah, well, you don't even have anything. Excuse me. You don't have anything to even get water with. How are you going to offer me any water? There's nothing. You have nothing. This well is deep. This is a deep well and you have nothing. Oh, where are you going to get this living water, this fresh water that you talk about? And she says, look, are you, are you greater? She said, than than our ancient father, Jacob, and both Jews and Samaritans held Jacob as, as their father, a venerated, uh, you know, man in their genealogies. Jacob had been the one who dug this well. And she said, look, the, this is Jacob's well. And the, he, because of what God led him to do and to get this water right here, we've all been able to live for generations. Don't even, are, are you greater than, than Jacob who, who has blessed so many people for so many years with this water, this, this water from this well. And, Cause remember Jesus has said he had living water, better water than this. And Jesus said, look, let me put it to you this way. I, I respect that Jacob dug this well, and I understand what a blessing it's been, but you need to hear me. Anyone who drinks this water, as wonderful as it is, as refreshing as it is, as much of a blessing as it is, you're going to thirst again. That's right. But if you will drink the water that I have, that I'm offering you right now, what I'm telling you is you will never, ever thirst again. It will be like a, a spring of water welling up inside of you under eternal life. That's what I'm telling you. The water that I'm offering you will change you from the inside out and quench the thirst that's inside of you at the most deepest places. It's something so profound and so beautiful, such a gift. And I want to give it to you. Oh, 
Think about that. And the woman said to him, and I think she was struck. It caught her. And she said, sir, I, 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 and now they're engaged. Sir, I would love to have that water. That would be amazing. Now she's still not quite sure what Jesus is talking about. And they're both kind of talking at a different layer here, a level. Jesus is talking about living water at, at a soul, spiritual level. She's thinking in the natural. She says, look, I would love that water. If you could give me that water and I would never have to be thirsty again. I mean, that would be, I mean, that, I mean, that would mean that I wouldn't even have to come here to this well, carry all this stuff. Oh, that would be, that would be awesome. How could you even do that? Right. And then as, as if she, um, is getting, you know, right into that conversation, right. When that's happening, Jesus then flips it and she, he says, look, yeah, I want to give it to you. Why don't you go ahead and get your husband, bring him back here. We'll talk about it together. And then she says, well, you know, um, I, you know, I don't have a husband. I don't really have a husband. And then Jesus does what he does. He says, I know that. She says, you do? Yeah, I know that. You've had five husbands. But the one that you're with right now, he's not your husband. <laughs> so technically, Jesus says, what you've said to me is true. I know that. And in that moment, Jesus is basically saying, he says it not to, he's not trying to rub her face in it. He's saying, I'm aware of your wound. I know the trauma of your heart. And I know the disappointment that people have been to you and the mistakes you've made. I'm under no illusions about who you are. And I don't want you to be under any illusions about who I am. Well, sir, I, I, that probing got too close and she wants to change the subject. And, and she says, sir, I, 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 oh, I, how would you know that of me? I, 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 I perceive that you're a, yes, you're, you're a prophet. I, you must only God, you, you're a prophet. I believe that. And then she shifts. She wants to shift away from her back into their differences. And she says, you know, um, our fathers, um, we, we are different than you, you know, we, we see things different than you do. You choose we, in us, we see things different. Our fathers have always worshiped here in this mountain, Gerashim, right? We don't, we don't worship the same God that you do in, in Jerusalem. And, and, and then she says, but you, that's what you believe we're supposed to do, but we don't believe that. It's trying to focus on their difference. And Jesus says eh, to her woman, believe me, the, the hour is coming when it's not going to matter where you worship him from a locale standpoint, whether here or there, this is not about place. It's not even about a space. It's it, I'm, I'm telling you the time to worship the father is now. Um, you just need to hear me on this, by the way, you don't really even understand what true worship of God looks like. Technically Jerusalem is the place to worship, but, but, and that's how God has brought salvation into this world through the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. But in, in honest, honestly, here's the thing. The hour is coming. It now is 
when those who are going to worship God are going to need to worship him in spirit and truth. That's just a fact. And the Father is seeking people, anybody who's willing to open up their heart and engage him in truth. And worshiping him in spirit and truth is going to, is going to have a lot to do with what you do with me. And that's what he says to her. And the woman said to him, I do, I, I do believe the Messiah is coming. Yes, I do. I believe he's coming. And, and, and when the Messiah comes, and I agree with, we, we all agree on that, that when the Messiah comes, he will reveal everything to us. The one that God has promised, the descendant that God has promised, the anointed one that God has promised, the great greatest teacher that God has promised. We all believe he's about to come. And when he comes, he's going to set it all right. He's going to make it all clear. He'll show us the way. And Jesus said to her, uh, <laughs> the one that you're speaking to right now, I am he, right? That's me, the, this me, the Messiah you're talking about, that one you're, is this the one that you're talking to? That's, that's me. I'm the Messiah, basically. That's what he says, right? I who speak to you am he. <laughs> you don't need to worry about his coming. He's come to you right now. Oh, now, if you can, and this is where our, our text begins, and we're going to scroll to that as well. So just follow along. Verse 27, John 4. And I want us to go somewhere here. So right when that conversation is happening, and it's a beautiful engagement, and I called it that the dance of grace, right? They're going back and forth. It's a beautiful moment that's taking place. And it culminates with Jesus saying, that's who I am. You're, you're talking to him right now. And in that moment, I, I, I imagine her, her just going, and, and she's so struck, right? But as that's happening, th and somewhere during that conversation, the disciples are coming back, carrying the goods, bringing the food. Uh, they're coming back from the town. They've purchased this, uh, the supplies. And it says in verse 27, then just then the disciples came back and they were, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or we would say, what, what are you trying to ask her about? I mean, Jesus, he's, she's a Samaritan woman. And, and what do you, what do you even want to have any conversation with her about? Why are you having this discussion with her? But nobody wanted to bring it up. Nobody wanted to do, say anything. They were all just kind of there watching what was finishing up there. And it says that while that was sort of being assessed, <laughs> right? They're all kind of looking at each other like, oh, what, what is he doing? While that's happening, she gets so excited that she decides, I'm going back into the town and I'm going to tell everybody who you are. And she gets so excited. Look at verse 28. The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people. Now, the, the conversation with Jesus, it struck me. And this is what happens when we have a real conversation with Jesus. I mean, when it really happens in our lives, one of the things that you will find is in the exact same way. I'm going to put this up too. that in, in the exact same way that she was affected when we truly come into contact with Jesus, it's going to push us inward. It will. I want you to see this. Engaging Jesus will always push us inward into the internal place. Like we'll start to ask questions about ourselves. We will be invited to see our life differently. We will be invited 
into places we would rather not look at. And yet into that place, he comes. I've known it. He still does it. In fact, following Jesus is a continual life of internal discovery. It always pushes us inward. But one of the other things that happens, and again, in these places of genuine self-discovery and understanding, and if we let him push us, push into our hearts, what will happen is it will push us. It will push. He will push past our hurt into our heart, into the deepest place. Like that's what the Lord does. He gets into places that no one else can go. He heals things that no one else can heal. The wounds of our past, the pain of our past, uh, the shame of our past, all these things, he can get right in there. And he gets into there and he heals it. It's what he does. And, and following him is a life of continual healing and growing and becoming. So every real interaction with Jesus always will bring us inward. It will always do it. But one of the other things it does when we have a genuine conversation with Jesus, because that's when we begin to know ourselves as we really are, right? We begin to, to find ourselves for the first time. Or another way of saying it is that we discover who we were really meant to be, like the way God wants us to be. And we get past the veneer and the Lord begins to heal and work and disrupt and get in there. He pushes us inward. So wherever we have contact with him, it goes, we go inward. But you know what else? This is a perfect illustration. Just as that pushed inward into her heart, whenever we come into a conversation with Jesus, it inevitably will push us outward. It's what happens. The Lord always will push us outward. He gets us outside. He gets us thinking in different ways. He gets us thinking about how we can share his good news. And her excitement was so real that it, it revealed itself because she literally leaves her pot behind. The very thing that she had brought, her water jar and that pot and all that, it was like, that didn't matter anymore. She was so excited. She had to go tell her friends. And when we're really, really moved and, and when, we re, when we genuinely interact our lives with Christ, what ends up happening is we can't keep it to ourselves. We've got to share it. We push inevitably. It pushes us outward in goodness in blessing in, and we become refreshers of others. That's what happens in and out. That's how the Lord works in and out. And it always pushes up. Go look at that 29th verse. It says she goes into town. Look what it says. She says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. I'm asking you a question. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the one? She goes back and says, you won't believe who I've met. I found him. I found him. I had a conversation. He told me everything. He knew everything. He's the Messiah. I'm telling you, I believe he is. You got to come check it out for yourself. And look at verse 30. It says that they went out of the town and they were coming to him. So all of a sudden you see this large mass of people from the town that are going, we're going to go meet him ourselves. And so they're all moving together. She's got everybody. She's, she's a maven, right? She's, she's connected. Who knows? Maybe the, the, the men in the town admired her for her edginess, but people tended to believe her, whatever it was, she got everybody excited and they wanted to go meet this Jesus, the Messiah. Now, meanwhile, verse 31, it says the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, you need to eat. So when she runs off and I imagine they're all watching her run off. And Jesus watches her and they see that she's left her pot and, and uh, the, 
the water maybe is half, maybe it's half full. I don't know. They look at Jesus. Jesus looks at them. They say, teacher, you, uh, you need to eat. We brought the food. We, we, we this, this, let's have lunch, right? You need to eat. Come on. Come on now. I mean, because he had been hungry and he had been thirsty and he had been tired, right? He was waiting there. And they loved him. And they wanted to take care of him. And he said to them, no, 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 no. I, I, I love this verse. Verse 32. I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And the disciples looked at each other and they said, what? What do you mean? Who? Who? Has anybody brought him anything to eat? What? Who did it? Did you have a private? Jesus, were you hiding some food from us? What? Who brought you that food? That's what we went into town to do. Where? How did you get it? Who brought that? How did? Who? No, 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 that's not what I'm talking. No, listen to me. What I'm telling you is my food is to do the will of him. I love this. To do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you I have a, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Jesus is hungry naturally, but that natural hunger has been overwhelmed by his spiritual passion. Like this is connecting with his deepest why. The very center of his life, his very purpose for coming, the very, the most significant driving force of who he was, was connected to his desire to seek and to save the lost. And he knew that that would ultimately lead him into the cross and out of it, into the tomb and out of it. But he understood that it was all about seeking and saving those who are lost. It's about people like you and people like me. It's about anybody, anywhere, all over the world, every nation, tribe, kindred and tongue. Everybody is welcome into the big tent of Jesus because he came to give his life for the world. He did, but it wasn't just the world. It could be one person and his heart was, was moved by the conversation with the one, the one woman stirred him so much that when they said, master, we brought you the food. He says, I don't want the food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. I'm telling you right now. I'm so moved. I'm so motivated. I'm so stirred. Um, This is my food. This is my food to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish the work that he has sent me to, to accomplish. That is it. It struck him deeply. And what was his work? You guys, what was his work? What was he talking about right there? And what is it that has so much significance for what we actually are celebrating? I'm telling you, you know what his work was? Again, we talked about it to save the lost, to pay a price for us that we could never pay for ourselves, to give his life as an expression of the father's love that we might have life now and forever because of that love that we might have through his life, the life that is truly life. For I have come, Jesus said, to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. I was reminded of a song that I heard by a poet singer of my younger days named Keith Green. You might check that song out, go on YouTube. It's called Altar Call, Keith Green. 
And in that song, he says, most people don't find out till it's too late that someone had to pay a price. You can pay yourself or let someone else, but who would be that nice to pay a debt that isn't his? Well, I know someone like that. He's your best friend. He really is. He really loves you. He really loves you. Keep that on our mind. It's all about the cross. I just wanted to take, and what we want to do right now, is to actually take a little bit of an interlude and pause just to reflect upon the love of God in Christ. And just to share this moment artistically, because you know what? We're not in a hurry. Let's just sit with this and enjoy our moment and our time together. We'll share it. I'll come back around and we'll finish this together. All right, here we go.
Death can't speak again This is how love wins This is how love wins Wasn't that good? What a blessing. The fact is, Jesus gave his life for us. Again, no gift greater than that. Earlier in his ministry before the cross, Jesus has said this in John. In John 10, he has said, and you just will scroll it right there. For this reason, he said, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me. Think about this. But I lay it down on my own accord. Now, he was crucified, and he looked like he was the victim, and he looked like he was powerless. But he said, no one, I lay down my life, no one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. And then he made this statement. And how appropriate is it for Easter? And I have the authority to take it up again. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. This charge... I have received from my father. And that is the, the, the Easter message, right? It is that no one took his life. He gave it. And then the same way that he was without sin and acceptable unto God in the father's will, he took it back up again. That's why when he said on the cross, it is finished. When he said those words, that was not like, I finally, the suffering is over. That, that wasn't it. What it was, was the victory is won. That was the cry of accomplishment, of the accomplishment of the Father's will, of the plan, of the work. That's what he was talking about. That was the cry of victorious agony or agonized victory, however we want to call it. It was basically him saying, I have done it. And on the third day, two days after Friday, he rose. He had the authority to take his life again. And I want to read that account because this is what the Bible says. This is the Easter account. We got to read it. It's Easter. And this is from Luke 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, that Sunday, that Easter Sunday, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day, he would rise. And this is our message. Ah, this is our message. This is our glorious, beautiful 2020 Easter message. In the midst of all the pain and all the uncertainty, in the midst of everything that is hard to understand and hard to predict and everything else that's going on. Here's the message that he is alive and that promise is available to you and to me. And because of his rising, we too can rise, right? That is a promise he's given to us for now and forever. 
Life now, life to come. The life that is truly life in him. Yes, that's what we're talking about. And for those of us, and I just go back to Jesus's interaction with the woman at the well, for those of us who are like the wonderful woman searching and, and something is broken inside of us, open up yourself to the healer. Let us heal. Let, let, us, let us allow him to heal us. Let us be open. Let us open up our heart to his claim and welcome him in. Even now, maybe some of us might say, on this Easter, I welcome you into my heart, Lord Jesus. How good would that be? Years down the road, you say, that was the Sunday. The unwelcomed, <laughs> unusual, the most unusual maybe Easter of my entire lifetime. 2020, the year of the virus was the year that I opened up my life to Jesus on an online service. Who could have seen it coming? <laughs> and if, for those of us who have opened up our heart to him, let's let, let that sort of life shine through us. Let's surrender to his claim completely. Let's live a, a life that is filled with the kind of passion to do the work of, of the father that he had, right? What is the work that we're supposed to do? I, when I look at Jesus, I see a sacrificial love and I see a settled heart. And like I said, he loved people. He wanted to see people come, come to know God, right? That was why he had come. It was, it, you know, and if we love him, then we're going to love people. That's just a fact. And we're going to want to see people come to know him. And we're going to want to bless people because that's what Jesus did. And if that's what Jesus did, and that's what people who love Jesus are going to do. And I think this is a wonderful time for us to live with sensitive eyes and openness of heart. Some of you are so good at this. You're so good at being a blesser. I was just thinking, and I, I'm just going to say, it. I mean, I'm married to a person who loves to bless and who's looking for ways to express the love of Christ. I mean, we have a neighbor who's a widow and she's many years advanced in age. And my, I just watched my wife bless. I watched her, I watched her go and bring food. I watched her have conversation. I, I, I watched her bring supplies and just express the love of Christ in a very tangible, real way. And I see that I see her doing actually a lot of that to a lot of people. And I see a lot of you doing that. You become his arms and his feet. We become, you know, I said this in one of the words of encouragement that we sent out to those of you who have the app. And I think it was also on the Facebook as well, but that, you know, we're in the middle of a bad news world, but Jesus is the good news in a bad news world. And if we know him and he lives with us, then we are good news people and good news. People need to show up and be read. And that's the good news. The good news is both what we proclaim and what we do in his name. The two go hand in hand. We are the people of God and we're a people of good works. Remember we talked about it? So good, so God. So good, so God. That's what we do. That's who we are. We were born to bless. I can't. <laughs> we were born to bless in the Lord. And so I don't know how this is all going to go. But one thing I do know that we walk not alone. The living savior is with us and he wants to be with us all the way, not just during this season for our whole life and beyond the living Jesus.
And remember this, one more thing. I was thinking about it because we were born to, you know, I look, oh, there was this, okay, I'll, I'll put this up. Because I was going back and I looked at that early exchange that Jesus had with the woman at the well. And I noted how one translation rendered it. And it's the reason why I actually gave the message title, the title that it is, The Generosity of God, because it has so many nuances to it. I mean, in Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's generosity. But check out how John is captured. John 4, 9, and 10 are captured from the message translation. And see if you notice what I noticed. And it caught my heart, stirred me up, and I want to share it with you. And we'll, we'll close this part with this piece. It says, The Samaritan woman taken aback asked, Think about, remember that part of the conversation when Jesus said, can you give me some water? The the Samaritan woman taken aback, caught off guard, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. But look at the 10th verse. I love it. Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God, and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. And there was something about that phrase that hit me. If you knew the generosity of God, (laughs) if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink of water. (laughs) If you only knew and think about that, right? In Jesus, we see the expression of the generosity of God. And that generosity is designed to both compel us towards him and to send us out to others. And again, at a time like this, it's even more meaningful that we experience the generosity of God in Christ and that we then in turn bless others with it. You know, the cross is the ultimate expression of God's generosity and the resurrection is the fulfillment of God's generosity. And we too are called to be generous in the way in which we bless and refresh. God has given us everything. Having loved them, it says he loved them to the end. He's loved us all the way. He can give us nothing more than what he's given. He not only has given us his death, he's given us his life. He's given us everything. In turn, we are called to be a generous people, to be a blesser. And remember this, when we bless, we will ourselves be blessed. The one, think about this, the Proverbs eleven twenty five. the one who refreshes will themselves be refreshed. That's the, the NIV. The one who refreshes will themselves be refreshed. When we refresh others, we refresh our soul. If we find ourselves getting stuck, push out, push out. If you find yourself being afraid, be courageous for someone else. If we find ourselves unsettled, Be a strength to someone. Be a blesser. You know how to get refreshed in your own heart? Refresh others. The one who refreshes will themselves be refreshed. That's how it works. Sow, water, reap. It's what we do. Remember that. Okay. I'm I'm quite excited. And we're not done yet. Got a beautiful closing song. After the song, I'm going to come back around. I want to bless you. Hey, look. We're not in a hurry. Right? We can do this. Let's take our time. Let's enjoy this together. Let me bless you. Let me pray. Let me bless you. So again, we don't have obviously time for a form. You know, there's no going to be no giving time. Uh, we're probably not. We're not even going to really pause. I'm just going to actually flip right over. I do want to remind all of you who can, and I know not everybody can. I got that. Some of us are hurting. Some of us are 
you know, out of work right now. I get it. But for those of us who can, very important that you as a church step forward and continue to give faithfully unto the Lord so that we can do the things that God's called us to do, to continue to bless, to build community. You see the fruit. You see it. We're all in this together. Let's honor the Lord together. Maybe it matters more now than ever. And those of you who feel compelled, remember, you can give online, you can give on the app either way. But right now, I just want to have a time of just enjoying a worship point, a song, and then I come back. I want to bless you all. Let's do this together. Cross brings 
Wasn't that so good? You know what? I've so enjoyed being with you on this uh, Easter Sunday 2020 that none of us saw coming. But I've loved being online with you and uh, sharing this moment and how blessed I am in my heart to be able to do it. I love you guys. I'm very gra grateful that we're able to stay connected and to be able to share in the way that we're doing throughout the week. And there's so many different ways to connect. I hope you take advantage of them. We're working so hard to make sure that all of you are blessed and equipped and encouraged. It's what I want. I want you to be strong. I want you to be okay. And I want you to be, be a, a blesser and a refresher. And I know that it's hard to do that when on the inside we're troubled. So I, I want us to be at peace. Again, it's one of those things. We can bless when we're at peace, but a lot of times it's through the blessing that we get our peace. So remember, sow water reap. Why? We talk about it. So God, so good. So God, so good. It's what we're committed to. Maybe that's our slogan for this season. Yeah, maybe so. Hey, let me pray and then we'll go our separate ways into this day. We're not in a hurry. <laughs> Lord, I just ask that you would bless all my friends, all my church family. I just really do. I pray, I would pray for all those who are in peril right now, all those who are hurting, all those who are at risk, all those who are vulnerable, all those who are in need of healing. We pray for our loved ones who are perhaps in some ways afar. We pray for the lonely among us, that we would, that they would be encouraged and we'd be part of, of your way of blessing. In fact, if there's anybody that you put into our heart that we're supposed to reach out to and send your goodness to, would we respond to that? But we pray for those who are, again, in need of healing. We, we ask you to cover our first responders and our leaders, leaders of our nation. We ask that you would bless our nation and deliver it and help us, help us to get through this together. We pray for our world, same thing. And I pray specifically, most mostly I guess right now, especially for those who I love in this church who maybe were struggling with 
fear and maybe it's been really hard maybe a part of us is panicking Lord I ask that you would send your peace and that you would calm our troubled hearts and that you would remind us of how much we are loved and how generous you have been a savior a promise of life now and life to come your presence here and a promise for tomorrow how good is that how good is that Lord so be with us this day this beautiful day that you have made spring new things into our heart so that by the time we're done with this season that none of us wanted we'll be saying how good is God how good is God just ask for your blessing bless all those who are hearing these words and let them know how much they are loved we're all loved by you in Jesus name we pray amen I love you guys have a wonderful happy beautiful rest of your Easter Sunday to meet again <laughs>